Hey, there we go. Good morning, everybody. Well, hey, the election's over, sort of, kind of. And for the last month, everybody's been talking about politics and this election at church last week. We talked about politics and the election. This whole week, you've heard about politics and the election. And it's such a contentious and somewhat divisive issue because we all have such a deeply personal vested interest in it. And so I thought, you know what, this week at church, let's take a break from all that drama. Let's talk about something that's not contentious, something that, that doesn't have to do a lot with our personal interests. Let's talk about money right? Because if there's anything people love talking about at church board and politics, it's what to do with their money. But this is something, yeah, I, I get it. I'm a weirdo. I love to talk about money. For some reason, it's just like finance just gets my gears going, but I totally get it. There are some people that just, when you get to church, you, you don't want to talk about money. You don't want to talk about that stuff. But nobody told God that because he talks about money like a whole lot. I haven't checked it, so don't quote on me, but I'm willing to bet that there is a biblical teaching on finance and money and so on in every single book of the Bible. There has to be, because there's so much to say about it. There's how to use money responsibly. There's how to avoid using money irresponsibly. There's how to avoid the traps and the pitfalls and temptations of idolatry and greed. There's so much. Money is such a, a prevalent uh, entity in our lives. We deal with it every day. I mean, we spend money almost every day, right? I mean, a good chunk of our best years are spent going to work in pursuit of making money. It's really easy to idolize money. It's really easy to lose money. Like, money is just something that's on our minds a lot. Sometimes money is the biggest source of stress and anxiety in our lives. So it's not really surprising that God has so much to say about money. And his words range all over the place from how to be wise with money, how to avoid the pitfalls of money, and everything in between. And so this morning, we are going to talk about money. We're actually starting off a four-week series talking about money. It's called the treasure principle. Because money is such a prevalent entity and presence in our lives, we probably ought to develop a healthy, God-honoring kind of relationship with it. And that's what the series is all about. We're going to begin today by looking at some teachings from Jesus in the book of Matthew chapter 6. I know sometimes people say, when I come to church, I don't want to talk about money. I want to talk about Jesus. And I do too. But Jesus talks about money, so we will too. This is Matthew chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open those up. I almost said empty those out. You can't empty your Bible out. You can open those up to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, feel free to follow along on the screens to the side. You can also download the FCC Monmouth app on your mobile device. Click the Sunday button in the bottom right-hand corner, and you'll find all kinds of different tools there. You'll find an opportunity to listen to the songs that we're going to sing ahead of time so that you're a little more familiar with them. Uh, you've got an opportunity to take a next step and to take some sort of action step in relation to what we're talking about today. Uh, this morning, I'd encourage you to click the sermon notes button. That's going to have our notes and all of our passages. We do have a number of them we're going to look at this morning. They're already pulled up for you in that tool. So, Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Before we can really appreciate this thing called the treasure principle, this mindset about money that we cultivate through Scripture, we need to lay a proper groundwork and get a proper perspective on money. Treasure is not bad. Money, possessions, things, they are not inherently bad things. I know for some of us that goes without saying, but sometimes we need to clarify that because we can sometimes look at the passage we're going to look at this morning and walk away thinking, man, money and treasures, those are just bad. We just should stay away from those. 
Take a look at what I mean. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It said, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And sometimes we can look at this passage, and we see those opening words, do not, and we see dot, 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 treasure, and we can just make this false association in our mind that Jesus is not all about treasure. You should not have treasure. Good Christian people don't concern themselves with things like money and possession and treasure. Just stay away from those, because only greedy and selfish people are concerned about treasure. But that's not what he said, is it? we got to read this whole passage, and we're going to break it down as we go through our time together this morning. Jesus does not say treasure is bad. Now, to be fair, Scripture does provide a number of warnings and a number of precautions that we should take around money and possessions and treasures. There are some safeguards we would be wise to put in place. For instance, in the book of Luke, Chapter 18, Jesus is speaking to a, a rich young man, and this young man comes to him and says, Jesus, what do I have to do to follow you? He says, sell all your possessions, give them to the poor. And we read that the young man went away sad because he had great wealth. His wealth had become a stumbling block. And so this is what Jesus says in response to that in Luke 18, 24. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So there you go, right out of Jesus' mouth. Rich people can't go to heaven, right? Money is just a one-way ticket to the other place. That's not what he said, is it? He said it is very difficult. It's hard. It's nearly impossible because there are a lot of temptations. There's a lot of baggage. There are a lot of things associated with wealth that make faithfulness difficult. There's a warning here. We look at another passage. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. And Paul is writing this. He says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So once again, there you go, from Scripture, money is the root of all evil. Money is just a temptation and a trap. It's a bad thing. That's sometimes what we can walk away with. But again, that's not what it said. It says that money is a source of temptation. Certainly there are temptations with treasure and possessions and wealth. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So there's, a, there's an attitude of the heart that's being spoken of in this passage. There's also an attitude of the heart spoken in the words of Jesus we read earlier. And in fact, if you were to read all the numerous warnings associated with Scripture, or associated with wealth and possession and treasure, what you would find is that most of the time there is a warning about the condition of one's heart. In other words, what seems to be the main focus of Scripture is not this idea that treasure is bad, but rather, what is your relationship with treasure like? If we are to seize it too fiercely, or if we are to hold on to it too tightly, or if we are to hoard it up too greedily, then yeah, there's something wrong here. Not because treasure is bad, but because our hearts have pursued a pathway that is unhealthy and unfaithful and unbecoming of somebody that walks with God. There is a warning that we need to heed for sure in Scripture. But the warning is not treasure equals bad. The warning is examine your heart and examine your relationship to treasure. 
To kind of put it in, in maybe different terms, I'll tell you a story. When I was in youth ministry, I had these two boys. They were junior high boys. And just my, my polite way of putting it was they were built to move things. They were big, brawny boys, not a lot of brains, right? These were not going to be the thought leaders of America, but they could follow directions and they could move some stuff. They were also very ornery, so they were a natural target anytime I had a somewhat punishing game for our youth group to play. And this was no instance. We, we had a lock-in one night, and the kids, it was probably two in the morning. The kids were late. That's a great time to make terrible decisions. And so I said, let's play the gallon challenge. And if you don't know what that is, that is where you and another person race against each other to see who can drink a gallon of milk the fastest. Now, it's not a secret what happens. Everybody knows you get about halfway through the gallon. Your body can't take it. The acid in the base, you have a pH imbalance in your stomach, and you just vomit everywhere. Everybody knows this. But like I said, built to move things. They were not hard to convince to play this game. And so these two junior high boys, they start racing each other. And exactly what do you think happens? About halfway through, they start trying to walk off the nausea and power through the pain. But eventually, the dairy gets the best of everybody. And they both started throwing up in this big trash can at the same time. The icing on the cake was how they high-fived each other as they were doing it. Only junior high boys would find something to celebrate in that moment. I tell you this rather gross story, though, as an illustration. There is nothing wrong with milk. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Now, if you consume more of it than you are designed or capable of handling, it's going to turn you inside out. It is going to do damage. You are going to feel awful for like 15, 20 minutes before you just spew everywhere. But that doesn't mean that milk is a bad thing. It means that we overconsumed. It means that our relationship to milk was troubled in some way. Milk is not bad, and by the way, neither is treasure. And just like milk, or let's back up, milk can do some really good things too. I mean, we all drink milk because we, we want calcium, we want strong bones. Milk is a great source of vitamin D. It's a good, healthy source of natural fats in our diet. Milk is a good thing, and it can accomplish a lot of good things. And so can treasure. Milk isn't bad, treasure isn't bad. Milk can do great things, treasure can do great things. And Scripture affirms this just as much as it warns us against the potential pitfalls. And we look at the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 32. This is a story about the early, early days of the church. And this is what we read. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, and they brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So in the early, early days of the church, there were some people who were wealthy and had much treasure. There were some people that were rather poor and had very little treasure. But because some of them did have treasure and had a healthy relationship with that, they were able to sell off lands and properties and take care of those who had need. They were able to show love in a very practical way and to stand out uh, to a watching community in a, in a way that just wasn't familiar or normal. You see, wealth is not a bad thing. In fact, it can do some, some very, very good things. 
Treasure is capable of, of accomplishing some, some very, very good things in our world, as we see in this story. If nobody had any treasure, if all of Jesus' people just swore it off, how would the needy find provision? Wealth must not be that bad. We've got another example. This is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 7. It says, The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. Let's leave this one up there for just a second. So this is a good example of something called Hebrew parallelism. This is something that shows up a lot in the Old Testament. Most of the time it's in the Psalms, but it's kind of sprinkled all over the place. And it's a literary technique where you have two, sometimes three, but normally two lines, and there's a relationship between these two. The most common form, overwhelmingly, that shows up is, is called echoing, or it's basically just repetition, where the first line says something, and then the second line says the exact same idea, just in different words, different terms, different imagery, and so on. And between the two, we get a fuller understanding of the concept. So the first line here is, the Lord sends poverty and wealth. That's the first line. The second line, he humbles and exalts. So there's a relationship here. It's echoing. So if the Lord sends poverty, that's echoed, he's, he humbles. That means that if the Lord sends wealth, it's echoed in the second line, he exalts. In other words, wealth, treasure, can be something sent directly from the hand of God for the purpose of honoring or of blessing somebody. How is that bad? How can we say that treasure is a bad thing that we should have nothing to do with when God himself uses it for very good purposes? Treasure must not be that bad. We've got one more passage. This is Proverbs chapter 10, verse 15. It says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. But poverty is the ruin of the poor. Now, in these ancient days, these ancient cities that existed in the days of the Proverbs, your city wall was your number one form of defense. It's what kept out bandits and armies and invaders. It's what kept you safe. To have a fortified city was a great blessing. And what this proverb is saying is that treasure serves that same purpose in our lives. Treasure protects us and softens the blow of Murphy's Law. If it can go wrong, it absolutely will go wrong. And we've all experienced this. I experienced this on Monday. I had a hot water heater go out. You know, I'm sure you've been there. You get the call from, you know, your husband and your wife, hey, there's something wrong with the water heater. Instantly, I knew what it was. And that's not the kind of thing that you sit down at the beginning of the month and go, yeah, that's going to happen on this day, so I better budget that. And so I went to the Menards. I picked up a hot water heater. I brought it back. I put it in. That night... I was able to lay down and in my prayers, I was able to praise God because I wasn't going to lose any sleep. I didn't have to wonder, where are we going to come up with this money? Where's it going to come from? We didn't budget this. Because of the blessing of a job and the financial wisdom of Scripture, I have a fortified city. My home, my family, my finances can absorb Murphy's Law with a little bit of ease. It helps us sleep at night. You've experienced this too. When something goes wrong in your life, the car breaks down, you know, the, or the car goes out, or your hot water goes out, or the washer or dryer goes kaput. Those aren't the kind of things that we plan on. But having that little bit of cushion, that treasure, can soften that blow, can really protect us from what might otherwise be a, a real source of concern. There is wisdom in treasure. There is good in treasure. It's not a bad thing. And so we, as, as Christians, we don't need to concern ourselves if we have a treasure. It's not wrong to have. It's not wrong to pursue more of. 
What Jesus is talking about here is a mindset and an attitude, something we call the treasure principle that we're going to clarify a little bit later. But it's this mindset and this relationship with the treasures of this earth that Scripture talks about again and again and again. And the idea that treasure is bad just does not fit. Neither does the idea that storing up treasure for ourselves is somehow bad or evil. There is nothing wrong with storing up treasure for ourselves. Again, let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. We'll start to understand where this, this guilt sometimes comes from. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. And again, we see those opening words. Do not store up for yourselves treasures, dot, dot, dot. Sometimes that's where we stop reading. And we can assume Jesus doesn't want us to store up treasure. We shouldn't have more than we need. If we can pay our bills and if we can eat food, that's it. We should give the rest away to help other people. We shouldn't be building savings accounts or retirement accounts or anything else because good Christian people don't concern themselves with material things and treasure. We don't store up for ourselves. We just give it all away because we are not greedy or selfish. But that isn't a fair assessment of what Jesus says at all. Because look at the very next verse, verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So we have these words, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. But when we get to verse 20, there's a positive command. There is an instruction here. I want you to store up treasures for yourselves. We're commanded to do that. You see, storing up treasure is not a bad thing. Now, like treasure itself... There are some warnings that Scripture provides and some things that we need to heed if we want to do this in a faithful and God-honoring way. We read about these in things like Psalm 10, verse 4. He says, In his pride the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts there is no room for God. And sometimes we might think that our self-interest is something we should disregard as people of faith. But in this passage, it's not talking about self-interest. It's talking about self-centeredness. In all of this man's thoughts, there's not even room for God. That thought never even crosses his mind. And if God doesn't cross his mind, rest assured, his neighbor, his needs, his desires, his neighbor's calls for help, those aren't going to cross his mind either. In all his thoughts, it's just him. It's just his needs, his wants, his desires, his yearnings. That's not self-interest. That's self-centeredness. That is being self-absorbed. And there is certainly a warning against that. It is possible to be overly interested in ourselves. There's another one in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So this is a warning. This is a statement of how people once lived before Christ. We were so interested in our cravings, so interested in our selfish desires, in our yearnings, what our flesh called for. We weren't concerned with what was holy or right or true. That, again, is not just a concern of self-interest. That is being self-absorbed. That is being self-centered. My flesh dictates how I live my life. And as that passage describes, such a life is deserving of wrath. There are certainly warnings against being overly interested in ourselves. But self-interest itself and, and storing up treasure for, for what we need and for, in a way that is wise and God-honoring, there is nothing inherently wrong with that. In fact, self-interest 
is necessary. It's how God created us. He gave us the ability to work and to cultivate and to produce because we should take interest in ourselves and in our well-being. It's normal and natural. There's a great quote um, named Adam Scott. He's a moral philosopher from Scotland. This is, or sorry, Adam Smith. This is what he says. It is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interest. In other words, we don't expect people to provide us with food and services out of the benevolence of their own hearts. We expect them to provide food and services and so on because they want to make money. They've got their own bills to pay. They've got mouths to feed. They've got a roof to pay for. We expect these people to cultivate businesses and services and to provide goods because they want to take care of themselves. And that's normal. That's how society works. People should be interested in themselves and taking care of themselves. Just maybe put it a little more close to home. We have a number of restaurants in town, right? And but side note, I would encourage you as you are able to support these local businesses with these new COVID restrictions that they have to operate under. There are going to be some hard times for some of these people, and they're good people. But as good as they are, I would guarantee you, if you take their paycheck away and expect them to open businesses and prepare your food and to serve you out of the goodness and benevolence of their own hearts, I guarantee you, you are going to be eating home-cooked meals exclusively because nobody is that kind and charitable. We all have our own interests to look out for and to take care of, and that's fine. That's not greedy. That's not selfish. That's being responsible. That's taking care of the things that God has entrusted us with, meaning our homes, our families, our bodies, and so on. There's another great quote about self-interest I want to share with you. This is from a man named Wesley Grant. It's a resource called Values and Capitalism. He says, it is self-interest that motivates us to get up, to go to work, to tend to our home, to care for our children, to seek education, and to follow doctor's orders. Here's the part I really want to zero in on. The natural desire and core motivation of human action is simply to better one's condition. And he's absolutely right. It is normal and natural to want to take care of our self-interest and better our condition because that's the way God put us together. We are inclined instinctually to press forward and to take care of our families, to take care of our homes, to take care of our bodies, to try to better our lives in some way. That doesn't make us greedy. That doesn't make us selfish. That doesn't make us self-centered. There's nothing wrong with taking care of our self-interests. And storing up treasure for ourselves is just part of how we do that. That's not something we should feel guilty about. That's not something we should wrestle with and say, oh, I don't know, should I put this in the savings account? Should I increase my investment? Should I do that? Yes, the answer is yes. Take care of you and yours. There's nothing wrong with that. You see, Jesus isn't saying here that treasure is bad. He's not saying that taking care of your self-interest by storing up treasure is bad. So what is Jesus really getting at in this passage? Let's look at the whole statement again. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. But he says in verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The concern isn't having treasure. The concern isn't storing up treasure. The concern is where are you storing up this treasure? 
Where do your interests really lie? He's going to sum it up in verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where we are storing up this treasure really does reveal a lot about where our interests are. Are we concerned or overly concerned with this world and what is happening here? Are we concerned enough with the world that is inevitably coming because of God's will? With heaven, with eternity, new earth, new creation. That is something we can begin investing in and cultivating today. You see, investing or storing up treasures for ourselves on earth is not necessarily bad. It can be incredibly foolish, however. Just look at what Jesus says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Our treasures on earth are incredibly vulnerable. I mean, moth, vermin, thieves, those are things that maybe we don't experience to a great extent today, but they represent the vulnerabilities of all our earthly wealth, possession, and treasure. It's all subject to decay. I mean, just take depreciation, for instance. That's not the result of vermin or moth or thieves. That's just time, just existing. Depreciation is something we all have to take into account. A great example of this is a new vehicle. Rule of thumb, when you buy a brand new vehicle and drive it off a dealer's lot, it depreciates somewhere between 15-20% instantly. I mean, that's just rule of thumb. In an average pickup truck, a new pickup truck, 2019, it was $50,000 as the average price. So if you bought a brand new pickup truck for $50,000 in 2019, the second you drove it off the dealer's lot, you basically lit $10,000 on fire, and you just waved goodbye to it. Now, that's not a criticism if you chose to do that, but I think if we thought of it in those terms, it would make us a little more apprehensive about investing so much in that vehicle. I mean, maybe it's easy to do talking about it, but if we were to actually take that stack of money and have to light it on fire ourselves, I'm willing to bet all of us would at least take a breath and pause. That's just depreciation. That truck is gonna need maintenance. It's gonna need repair because entropy is going to take effect. It's going to break down, it's going to wear out. That home that we purchase, it's going to need repairs and upkeep. That stock portfolio that we've cultivated, it's gonna take a hit and a jab. It's going to lose value. These are things that inevitably happen because we live in a world subject to decay and there's nothing we can do to stop it. And that's just that side of things. If, if our possessions and our treasures don't wear out, I guarantee you, your body will. There's one rule of thumb besides depreciation that we can all count on, and it's this. Life inevitably ends. It is an unavoidable certainty, unfortunately. And when that day comes and we close our eyes that last time and our spirit departs this world, we will do so the same way we came into it, naked and empty-handed. In other words, you, you can't take it with you. All of that treasure that we have amassed, that we've invested in, that we've stored up for ourselves on earth, stays on earth. I want to put a picture on the screen for us to look at. This is a picture taken from, of the treasure found in King Tut's tomb back in the 1920s. This was kind of unique. King Tut, King Tutankhamun, he was a young king. His tomb was relatively undisturbed, which was unusual. And they found all of this stuff inside. The, the ancient Egyptians, they believed their kings were basically gods here on earth. And so when they died, 
they figured they're going to need a lot of treasure to get to the other side, to the afterlife, and they're going to need some treasure to live in that afterlife. And so all these pyramids, these tombs were built, and they were filled with all of this vast treasure and wealth. Well, as you can see, when King Tut's tomb was discovered in the 1920s and opened up, he apparently forgot to take all of his treasure with him because it was all still there. In other words, you can't take it with you. You can, however, send it on ahead. That seems to be what Jesus is talking about. Do not store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but rather make a sound investment. Build up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures where, where moth and vermin cannot destroy where entropy cannot take effect, where thieves do not break in and steal, where you don't have to worry about if the market turns down. You don't have to worry about it wearing out. Build up for yourself a treasure that endures and lasts. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. That is the treasure principle. It's a mindset that really challenges how we think about wealth and treasure. You see, Jesus is interested in our own well-being. He does want the best for us, which is why he doesn't discourage storing up treasure and why he doesn't discourage treasure in general. He generally wants you to have treasure. He just wants you to be smart about it. Don't invest and squirrel away like somebody who is going to be trapped here on this world forever. Realize that this is the blink of an eye, that there is something so much grander in store, and you're going to want some treasure for it. Now, I'm not trying to suggest that when we start to give and we start to tithe and we start to invest in God's kingdom that we're opening up a heavenly bank account and that there's a one-to-one currency um, you know, exchange happening. I, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is when Jesus talks about heavenly treasure, he does seem to be saying there is something valuable waiting for you on the other side. And even more so, he seems to be saying the extent to which you invest in it today does play out and yield some sort of benefit in that day. I can't tell you any more than that because Jesus doesn't elaborate, so I'd just be making stuff up. But here's what I can ascertain. It's apparently good... Jesus says it's worthwhile, so I want it, because I have self-interest as well. And if you have self-interest, I think we all owe it to ourselves to at least take a step back and ask, where am I really investing my treasure? And is it a sound investment? The options are this, I can invest all of my treasure in assets today that will only depreciate, which, by the way, if it has no possibility of appreciating in value, that's called a liability, not an asset. Our homes, our vehicles, our clothes, everything that we purchase today is a liability. That doesn't sound like a very good investment, does it? I I can build up treasure and I can invest in things I only experience for a mere moment, but will have no access to for the vast majority of my existence, eternity. But that doesn't sound like a very good investment either, does it? That would be like buying a Rolex and wearing it for 10 minutes and then smashing it with a hammer. I got it for a short time, but for the rest of my life, mm -mm, I can't touch it. We'd all think that's insane, right? Or think about it like this. This is an even better illustration. Let's talk about video games. I can tell in our audience today, we all play lots of video games. So massively multiplayer online games are are a kind of video game. People all over the world, millions and millions of people play them, sometimes at the same time. 
And they play with each other, and they kind of create these own little digital worlds. And just like in the real world, you can use money, real U.S. currency, to purchase things for your little online world with these other people. And sometimes it might be a, a new set of clothes, or it might be a house, or it might be a weapon, or, or whatever. And most of these things, people spend a dollar, two dollars, maybe five, and we would all probably say, you know what, to each their own. I spent two bucks on a cup of coffee this morning. You do whatever you want to do. But what if I told you somebody spent $50,000 purchasing something for their video game? We might all take a step back and go, what in the world? The game is called Second Life. This is a true story. In 2007, somebody purchased a replica of the city of Amsterdam for $50,000. It's theirs. They own it. It's all these zeros and ones. It's $50,000. Here's the best, kind of worst part of the story. That game is on its last leg. The company that owns it is not doing real well, so it's very likely it's going to shut down sometime in the near future. And the servers will go off, and when they do, everything inside that game, including that $50,000 city, will disappear forever. No refunds. Sorry. And we look at that and we may say, what a fool. But here's the deal. We live in a world where someday the server is going to go down. It may be on the world at large, it may be just our own lives, but it's going to shut down. And when it does, all of these treasures that we have spent so much time amassing and accumulating and cultivating disappear. No refunds. Sorry. Is this really where we want to invest our treasure? Is this really a wise investment? Or would we rather send our wealth and our treasure on ahead to a place where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal? I think that sounds like a much better investment, something that is much more in our best interests. And that's what Jesus is encouraging us to think about. I mean, Jesus does care about your well-being and your best interest. That's why he came into this world. That's why he laid down his life. That's why he gave everything he had and more pouring out his blood in his last breath to cleanse us from sin because it was what was best for us. This is somebody who has demonstrated, I do care about your well-being. So we can take his words to the bank, so to speak, and trust that we cannot take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. That is the treasure principle. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. We are going to be talking about charity, and we're going to be talking about stewardship, and we're going to be talking about tithing. And sometimes when we have those conversations, people sometimes think, well, here's the church. They just want more of my money. I promise you that is not what we want. We actually want you to have treasure. We just want you to have it in a way that makes the most sense and is wise. Treasure that lasts. And I'll say this too, despite the challenges and the unique circumstances of this past year, we saw more people take steps towards faithful and regular giving this year than in the past two years combined, which kind of blows my mind because it's not what I would have expected. And so if you are one, one of those people that has taken one of those steps, I just want to commend you on having the faith to commit and to invest in the world to come. And if you're somebody that just maintains your regular faithfulness and you're giving, your tithing in that way, I want to commend you as well because there were plenty of opportunities this past year to say, well, it looks a little hairy out there. I think I'll just hold on to the money a little tighter around here. 
But you didn't choose that. You chose to send it on ahead. So I wanted to take this kind of time just to commend you all for that, but also to kind of illustrate God is taking care of this church. We're not out to get more money. We actually do want you to have treasure. We just want you to have treasure that is actually in your best interest. That's what we're talking about for the next three weeks. I hope if you are interested in yourself and in your own well-being, you'll join us next week. We're going to be talking about stewardship. Stewardship is an unusual principle that our world doesn't always fully understand, but is one that really shifts how we view everything from our money to our possessions to our abilities and our time and even the people in our lives. It's a very powerful principle we're going to be talking about next week, so I hope that you'll join us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for caring about us. You pursued us. You saved us through the blood of Jesus. You purchased for us an eternity and a life with you. But even still, you care enough just to take care of us today, to provide for us today, to give us wisdom for today, and to give us instruction and wisdom for tomorrow as well. You are a God that cares about us in every capacity and in every way, and so we just thank you for that. And I pray that as we live in this life, we would heed the warnings of Scripture when it comes to wealth and it comes to storing up, and that we would protect our hearts, that you would help us to cultivate a healthy and God-honoring relationship with the material. We need things. It's just the way it is. We need money. We need savings. But we also need something to look forward to in the days ahead. And we don't know what that is, but Jesus says it's good, and we want it because we trust him. And so because we trust him, we ask that you help us to be faithful. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.